<clears throat> Go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to go ahead and pray while we're turning there. God, we're thankful for today. Thankful for every day that, uh, that you give us. God, we're thankful in particular for days like today where we can gather together uh, as a body. Thankful that we can gather together and um, just be with one another. Thankful that we can gather together and study your word. Uh, dig into your word and, and learn uh, the truth uh, that you've given us. But God, I pray today that, uh, that it would be more than, than just learning um, maybe new truth or reinforcing truth that we already knew. God, I pray that we wouldn't walk away from here just, just having gained knowledge, but that we would walk away from here uh, being gripped by the truth of your word. God, I pray that uh, you would open up our minds and our hearts to give us understanding, uh, not of what I'm going to say, but God, of what you want to speak to us today. <clears throat> Pray that your word, God, would, would take root in our lives, that it would grip our hearts uh, in such a way that it would change the way that we live. God, I pray that as we look at this story today of uh, Jacob and, and Leah, God, that you would reveal uh, just the, the sin in our own hearts. And God, that you would uh, show us what it looks like to repent of that sin, that you would grant us repentance. And God, that ultimately uh, that you would be the prize uh, that we seek, not anything else uh, that this life may have to offer. God, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. A <clears throat> little bit of a backstory here before we get into Genesis 29. Let me tell you a little bit about, about the life of Jacob, if you're not, not familiar uh, with the life of Jacob. Um, Jacob's a pretty, pretty central character in the book of Genesis, um, all throughout the Old Testament, God <laughs> refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and, and the God of, of Jacob. So he's kind of one of the big three, right, the, whose, whose name gets mentioned over and over again. And, and we, we have a pretty, pretty big glimpse of the life of Jacob throughout the book of, of Genesis. Really from his birth to his death, uh, we get to see a, a, a good, good chunk of his life. We get to see more of the life of Jacob than we do of the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac. So we really, uh, as you read through the story, uh, get to know who this guy is. Um, and, and you get to see uh, his failures, you get to see his successes, and, and we get to see uh, God change who, who Jacob is uh, over the course of his life. Um, leading up to uh, Genesis 29, um, we, we get to see uh, a few chapters back the, the birth of Jacob, and he, he's a twin. It's a twin brother, Esau. Jacob is the younger of the two. And <clears throat> culturally, um, be, being the firstborn son was like a really big deal. It was like everything, right? It was, it was a big deal. So Jacob was, was the second-born son. Uh, and as he was born, he, he came out of the womb holding on to the heel uh, of his brother, Esau, and so he was aptly named Jacob, which, which literally means a heel grabber or one who holds on to the foot. Uh, and the connotation to that is that he's a deceiver. Uh, it, it's, a, it's not a good connotation uh, to the name Jacob, that he's a deceiver, uh, that he's a cheater. And, and we certainly see through his life that that, that rings true, that that is, is who he is uh, at his core uh, until he has this encounter uh, with God, and God begins to change who he is at his core. 
We, we see that, that Jacob uh, deceives his brother uh, a couple of times out of a couple pretty big things in life. The, the first of which uh, is the, the birthright. Uh, Esau was a, was a hunter. He was you know, kind of a man's man. And the Bible says that, that Jacob was, was a quiet man and he, he dwelt in, in tents. So in other words, he wasn't the guy out in the field uh, killing animals. And so kind of a contrast between he and his brother. And his brother one day comes in from the field uh, after uh, hunting and he's tired and, and, and worn out. And he just needs some food. And, and Jacob was making some food and uh, offers to give his brother food in return for his birthright, right? Jacob sees the opportunity that, that Esau is, is worn down. And, and so he basically deceives his brother out of the, the birthright. And so now Jacob has the standing of the firstborn son and he traded it to his brother for a bowl of soup, right? So, so Jacob deceives his brother out of that. And, and later on, as, as, as their father Isaac is coming to the end of his life, uh, Jacob deceives Isaac into uh, bestowing his blessing uh, that rightfully would have gone to Esau uh, uh, on to Jacob. Uh, so Jacob had a deception there, and then his brother Esau finds out about this deception, and, and the Bible says that, that Esau wanted to kill him. He was so angry, wanted to kill his brother. So uh, lots of family drama going on here. Um, if you're a reality TV junkie, um, reality TV's got nothing on the book of Genesis, uh, especially the story of Jacob. There's... If you like reality TV, just read about Jacob. It'll, it, it's a good story. Um, and so his brother Esau wants to kill him because of the, this, this second big deception. And so uh, the Bible tells us that, that Isaac loved Esau, um, that he didn't particularly care for Jacob, but, but Rebekah, his mom, loved Jacob. And so Rebekah finds out that, that Esau's anger is kindled against Jacob. And so her and Jacob uh, plot together uh, to deceive Isaac, uh, the dad, yet again, uh, in order to, uh, that Isaac would send Jacob to Uncle Laban's house uh, in order to find a wife. But, but really it was this plot to get Isaac to, to send Jacob off with the blessing when really he, he's on the run for his life because he's afraid his brother uh, is going to kill him. And so uh, just another deception. And so time and time again, <clears throat> we see Jacob um, being the deceiver, being the cheater, being the liar, right? And so he goes on the run um, on the way to Uncle Laban's house, his mother's brother. Um, and on his way there in Genesis 28, he has this encounter with God uh, where, where God enters into this covenant relationship with Jacob. Um, if, if you're familiar at all with, with Genesis or with the story, um, back towards the beginning of, of the book, God enters into a covenant relationship with Abraham uh, he tells Abraham that, that he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the shore, uh, and that ultimately that the Messiah, that Jesus Christ would come through the lineage of Abraham. And then Abraham you know, has, has a son, Isaac, and, and, and God enters into that same covenant relationship with Isaac and extends the same promise to Isaac that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as, as the sand on the shore, and that ultimately the Messiah would come through Abraham, through Isaac, and then Jacob now in, in Genesis 28 has this encounter with God, and God enters into the same covenant relationship with Jacob, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the shore, right? God pursued Jacob. God initiated 
with Jacob. And here's the thing, you guys, that blows me away about this. Like, I can look at Abraham, and, you know, if you know the story of Abraham, you know he was a man of, of great faith, right? We can read about Abraham, and we, we, we see some of his failures, but we see a lot of his successes. Um, kind of the same thing with Isaac, you know, another guy we can kind of get behind. But, but here we get to Jacob, and it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that, like, this guy's a dirtbag. Um, this guy lies, he cheats, he steals, um, you know, and, and he, he, he deceives his own family, right? It's one thing to, to deceive somebody else, but to deceive your own family time and time again. That's a guy that I have a hard time getting behind. And, and a guy that, that I, like, I look at God and say, okay, if I'm God, uh, which I'm not, but, but if I am, right, and, and I'm going to pick somebody to identify myself with, Right? I, I, I can see the case for, for God saying, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. Um, but for God to, to identify himself with Jacob and say, I'm the God of that guy. <clears throat> I'm the God of that guy who, who cheats. I'm the God of that guy who, who steals, who deceives. That's kind of a mind blower to me that, that God would say, I'm with that guy. But God does. God enters into this covenant relationship with Jacob, extends the same covenant that he extended to Isaac and the same covenant that he extended to Abraham, right? And then Jacob, um, you can just listen here, but, but at the end of, of chapter 28, uh, Jacob's response um, to God entering into this covenant uh, in, in verse 20, it says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And so here we see Jacob. God, God makes his covenant with Jacob. And how does Jacob respond? He says, okay, God, here's my terms. If you give me food, if you give me clothes, if you keep me safe, if you bring me back home, then we're good. Then you can be my God. And you know what? I'll even give some back to you. Right? That, th those are Jacob's terms. Right? God's terms are, I'm going to be your God and, and you're, you're going to be my people. Um, the Messiah is going to come from you. And Jacob's terms are, okay, that's cool, but give me clothes, give me food, give me safety, Give me a place to live. We're, we're cool, and I'll even give some back to you, right? So, so Jacob, he doesn't get it. It's pretty apparent that he doesn't get, uh, at this point in his life, who God is, right? And, and just spoiler alert and moving ahead in the story, we're not going to get this far ahead today, but, but we see over the course of time that, that God changes Jacob, Right, he changes who he is at his core, um, and he changes his name uh, in a few chapters from Jacob, uh, which means the, the deceiver, the cheater, to uh, Israel. And the meaning of, of the name Israel is one who strives with God. And so kind of a cool transformation that we see in Jacob. And right in the middle of this transformation is here in Genesis 29, where we're going to be today. Um, we're going to be in the last half of the chapter, starting in verse 15. Um, kind of in the middle of this, this, this transformation is, is this part here where we see Jacob doesn't quite get it, hasn't quite understood yet who God is, right? And, and he, he's, not, he's not looking for God. He's looking for what God can do for him, right? And how many times is that the way that we can be, 
right? We're, we're not necessarily looking for God, but we're looking for what it is that God can do for us. How many times do we come to God with our terms, just like Jacob, right? God, I want these things. I want, these, I want relationships in my life to work out. Uh, God, I want you know, just this job. If I could just get a better job, right, then we'd be good. If I could, if I could just live in a bigger house, we'd, we'd be good, right? If we could just have another kid, we'd be good, right? Um, and we come to God with, with these terms. It says, here's the way that I want it to be, much like we see here with Jacob. At the end of the day, we're really just looking to be fulfilled, right? Who of us doesn't want to be fulfilled in life, right? If we, if we pulled the room and said, who wants to be fulfilled, probably everybody would raise their hand. And if you didn't, I, I would look at you like you're weird because we all want to have fulfillment in our life. We want to be satisfied, right? We want to be happy. We want to have joy uh, in this life. And, and we have this idea in our minds, this picture in our minds of what that looks like. Right, we could go around, probably each one of us, and say, you know what, what is it that would make you happy? And we could all, you know, probably rattle off a list. Right, everybody's list might look a little bit different, but we could all rattle off a list of, of what things <clears throat> that would make us happy, what things would give us fulfillment. J- Jacob's no different. His list just happens to be food, safety, clothing, shelter. These are the things that, that I want. Right, and those are his terms in, in which he's given to God. And so, so he has this encounter, has this encounter with God, has this, this vision, has this dream, um, doesn't quite get it yet, the relationship that God has entered into with him, the covenant that God has made <clears throat> with him. So he continues on his journey, and um, he, he makes it to Laban's house, right? Uncle Laban, and um, he's there for the express purpose of, of finding a wife and some of you guys are kind of doing the math right now of Uncle Laban and finding a wife. And yes, he marries a cousin. Um, it was okay back then. God hadn't said, don't do that yet. So just kind of the way they rolled in the beginning. Um, and so he's at Uncle Laban's house. Um, he gets there. He, he sees Laban's daughter, Rachel, uh, who we're going to find out. She's a very attractive woman. Um, and it's kind of this love at first sight thing. He sees Rachel. He's like, I got to have her. Got to have her. Um, and so that kind of shapes the story. And so he has this encounter with Laban. He's been at Uncle Laban's house for about a month by the time we pick it up here in verse 15. Um, and so let's just start reading in, in verse 15 of Genesis 29. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? So, so Laban approaches Jacob, right, and he's trying to, to negotiate this employment deal with Jacob. Right? Laban's a sharp guy, right? He's a businessman. Um, <clears throat> he's older than Jacob by about 25 years, and he sees that Jacob has been there for about a month, and he's been working hard. So he sees the opportunity, and he's like, okay, you've been here for a while. Let's work out this contract. What do you want, right? What, what do you want? And then verse 16, it says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And, and so, just stop right there for just a second. It's kind of this, this weird little sentence here about Leah and Rachel that saying that, that Rachel, or I'm sorry, that Leah uh, had weak eyes, but, but Rachel was beautiful. And it, it's kind of a weird 
contrast. And so just trying to figure out, you know, what it is that, that they're trying to get at here. And, and just looking at this in the context, I, I don't think it's saying that, that Leah had weak eyes in the sense that, like, she couldn't see very well. Because it wouldn't make sense to say that Leah couldn't see very well, but, but Rachel w- was really beautiful. Doesn't make sense. Kind of what, what I think it's getting at there is that, that, that Leah had some deformity <clears throat> with her eyes that made her unattractive, um, unwanted, maybe even unlovable. And, and so that, that's what it's saying here in, in verse 17 that, that Leah was unattractive. Um, and Rachel, her sister, was beautiful in form and appearance. In other words, this, this girl was a knockout. Right? You can imagine the family dynamics of that. Right? Two, two sisters growing up, uh, one of them being, being attractive, one of them kind of being the ugly duckling, so to speak. And you can imagine what that may have been like <clears throat> growing up uh, for Leah, living in the shadow uh, of her sister who you know, most likely was popular and you know, the things that, that sometimes can come along with um, uh, being attractive. Right, um, and so so you can imagine that family dynamic. So so you got Jacob who has family dynamics of his own, right? He's got drama and, and all kinds of stuff in his family, and here you've got Leah and Rachel who uh, presumably have kind of their own drama. Just, just speculating, but most likely there's probably a little bit of drama here between the sisters. Right, verse eighteen it says that Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, <clears throat> he's speaking to Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, is it better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man? Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Now, did a little bit of research last night because I, I was just kind of curious you know, what, what was behind this serving for seven years and, and all that. And, and, and what I found out is that it was common in, in this time that, that, that you would pay uh, what was called the bride price. In other words, you'd pay the father of the bride uh, in order to marry her. And, and a common bride price would be about between 30 and 40 shekels. Um, I didn't do the math on what that translates to in today's money, but, but it kind of doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> I also found out that a common wage uh, in this time would have been about one and a half shekels per month. So if you do the math on seven years of labor, right, 84 months of labor at one and a half shekels a month, um, basically what Jacob is offering here for Rachel is about three to four times of what would have been a common uh, offer. So in other words, he, he's telling Jacob, I really want your daughter. Right? He's laying all of his cards out on the table. Right? Just makes this ridiculous offer uh, to Laban. Uh, in order to uh, have the right to, to marry his daughter. And so he, so he works for seven years, and it goes by really fast <clears throat> because he's got his eye on the prize. Right? I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation in life where like, you just have this focus on you know, whatever it is that, that your goal is. Right? So, so Jacob has a goal. He's got an end game. He's got a prize, and he's working towards that prize. And not only is he working towards that prize, but his whole life is about... That prize, his whole life is about getting Rachel, right? This is, this is where Jacob is, is looking for his fulfillment, right? I've got to have this girl, and so I'm just going to work my tail off for seven years, right, under the thumb of his father-in-law. And, and, and again, if you, if you read ahead in the story, we're not going to get there today, but if you read ahead in the story, you'll find out that, that Jacob ends up spending about 20 years of his life <clears throat> working for 
his father-in-law. And his father-in-law is not, not the most scrupulous guy that ever existed, which, which we're going to find out. Right? Remember, Jacob, this guy who's the deceiver, who's the cheater, who's, who's deceived and cheated uh, his own family, we're going to find out he's met his match in Laban, who is his uncle and, and soon-to-be uh, father-in-law. And, and so when he lays his cards out on the table and says, i got to have Rachel, and, and I'm, I'll work seven years for her, uh, Laban, you can imagine in that moment, he realizes, I've got him. Right, Laban t- taking advantage of the opportunity, right? He's a sharp guy, <clears throat> businessman. He, he sees the opportunity and he realizes when Jacob lays his cards on the table that he's got him. And immediately the wheels begin to turn uh, in Uncle Laban's head about how he can work this situation out. Right, so verse 21, let, let's see how, how Laban works it out. It says, then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. And what's happening here is that seven years has gone by. Jacob's put in his time. And what he's literally saying here in verse 21 is it's been seven years. It's time for me to have sex with your daughter. Right? This is literally what he's going to Laban and saying. Right? How how many of us men would go to our future father-in-law and say that? Right? We wouldn't do it. So this, this kind of gives you an idea of Jacob and who he is, right? This is, it's kind of an audacious statement, right, that, that he's making here to his future father-in-law. <clears throat> Verse 22, so Laban gathered together all of the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. In other words, they, they consummated the marriage. Laban gave his, gave his female servant, servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Right? You can imagine this. Imagine the scene, right? Spent their wedding night together, right? And, you know, no electricity back then. So, like, the dark is the dark, okay? Just kind of, you know, my wheels spin. It's like, how in the world did, did Laban pull this off, right? No electricity makes it a lot easier to pull off something like this than what would happen today, right? And so they've spent the night together, and in the morning, right, you can, you can imagine Jacob, you know, rolling over, getting ready to look at his, his new wife, and it's not her, right? It's Leah. Not only is it not her, but it's, it's, it's the ugly duckling of the sisters, right? He got duped into marrying the wrong woman, and now they have consummated the marriage, and he rolls over in the morning to, to his probably um, utter surprise and shock to find out that he's been with the wrong woman. And so he goes to Laban. Uh, it says, And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? <clears throat> Verse 26, Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. <laughs> Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me for another seven years. So here's Laban, his, his plot, his plan, his scheme. Right? The, the moment seven years earlier when Jacob said, I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel, this plot hatched in Laban. And so seven years 
has gone by. Jacob has, has worked his tail off for Laban. And what we find out later in the story is that Jacob um, has not only become a wealthy man, <clears throat> but he's also made uh, his uncle father-in-law Laban a wealthy man as well. So Jacob's put in his time. Um, and at the end of that seven years, when it comes time for him to marry Rachel, Laban slips in his other daughter, right? And, and you can imagine Laban probably, you know, he's thinking like, this is what I have to do in order to, to get this daughter married, right? Because she's unwanted and, and unlovable by the standards of society. And, and so he slips her in there and, and dupes Jacob into marrying the wrong girl. And then Jacob comes to him and he's like, what's going on here? What in the world have you done? Right? And I'm thinking, like, if I'm Jacob, right, like I'm going to fight this. I'm going to put up a good fight. Um, but, but what does Jacob do? He, he brings it up, but then he works another seven years so he can marry Rachel. And this is just, again, some speculation on my part, which um, just thinking that Jacob, in, in this moment, when he realizes he's been deceived, um, Probably a little poetic justice happening here, right? We, we kind of read this and part of us is like, the dude had it coming, right? He had it coming because the guy's a dirtbag and he's deceived people his whole life. And so this is, you know, poetic justice that finally, you know, somebody got him back. He probably deserved it. There's no argument there that that's probably the case. But, but maybe, just maybe, as Jacob is confronting Laban on this, Again, just speculation, but I might imagine that he's beginning to think about the deceptions in his life that, that he has been responsible for, deceiving his, his father uh, a couple of times and deceiving his brother uh, a couple of times. And so maybe, maybe this is why he didn't put up a bigger fight, because he doesn't have much of a leg to stand on. I, I don't know, just, just a thought. Right, so, so Laban, seizing the opportunity, tells him, finish out this week. When they, when they got married back then, it was the, the wedding was, it was a week-long ceremony, basically a week-long party. Um, and so he's, you know, finish out this week. We're going to finish the wedding ceremony. Um, you're kind of stuck with Leah, but if you really want Rachel, um, I'll give her to you, but you owe me another seven years, right, of labor. And so really, again, pays another ridiculously high uh, bride price. Um, and so Jacob uh, ended up giving in. Uh, and doing that. So uh, verse 28, it says, Jacob did so uh, and completed her a week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave, Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also. In other words, they consummated their marriage. Uh, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So imagine this family dynamic, right? You've got two wives, which I mean, that's enough of a dynamic in and of itself, but, but you've got one, one wife that you love and one wife that you hate, right? Imagine, imagine what that's like um, to be Jacob. Imagine what that's like uh, to be Leah, right? To continue to be in the shadow uh, of her younger sister, right? Imagine what this is like to be Rachel, to be in this situation. So, you know, again, reality TV's got nothing on this. Right? There's, there's got to be some really interesting and weird family dynamics here. But, but, but in this, we, we get this glimpse into Jacob and who he is. And, and again, this guy's a dirtbag. This guy's a dirtbag. He, he's looking for his fulfillment in his spouse. 
right? And, and having a spouse is a good thing. I'm not going to stand up here and say it's a bad thing because it's not. But, but here we see in this story that, that Jacob, this is like the ultimate thing for him, right? <clears throat> I've got to have, got to have this woman. I've got to have this relationship, right? And, and so everything in his life is about that relationship. Everything he does, all of his energy, all of his time, all of his effort goes towards that relationship, goes towards that thing. Everything about him, this is what he's about, right? For us, you know, maybe, maybe for some of us it is a relationship that, that is the ultimate thing in our life. Maybe for some of us uh, it's our career. Maybe for some of us it's uh, our reputation or our social standing. Maybe for some of us, which we'll see in the case of Leah, that, that it's our family. That's the ultimate thing. And, and again, I don't want to stand up here and say that those things are bad things because they're not bad things. Right? But, but like anything, uh, as humans, we have the capacity to take a good thing uh, and make it an ultimate thing and make it the prize and make it the end. Right? And, and, and here's the thing. Whatever it is, like we all, we all have our Rachel, right? You can fill For Jacob, it was Rachel. For us, we can fill in the blank of whatever it is that, 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 that we've got to have. But, but, but here's the thing that every time when, when we chase something other than Jesus... And we're going to see this exemplified in Leah. Whatever it is that's our Rachel, the equivalent of our Rachel that we're chasing, we're going to find that every time we're going to wake up in the morning and it's going to be Leah. Right? It's going to be the thing. It's not going to be good enough. Right? It's not going to bring us the fulfillment that we seek. It's not going to bring us the satisfaction that we seek. Right, let, let, let's keep reading in verse 31 here about Leah. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me a son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. So she starts having kids. Right? She has three kids, and after each child, right, it's kind of like, Now, now that I've had a child, now, now my husband will love me. Now my marriage will finally be good, right? Because I've, I've had a child. Now, God sees that I'm hated, and now, now that I've had another son, it, it's all going to be okay. Right? Has the third child. Now, now my husband has to love me. He has to be attached to me now that, that, that I've had this, right? Now that I've had three kids, right? For us, what, what, what is that thing in our lives that, that if we could just have, right, that, that everything else would be good, everything else would fall into place, right? If I could just, just get that promotion, if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just have a little bit bigger house, if I could just, whatever, you fill in the blank. If my ship would come in, if this one thing would just happen, then, <clears throat> then we'd be good, right? Then, then we're okay. For many of us, I think we, we, we do a good job at, you know, you know, we have this understanding in our minds that 
that, that Jesus is everything, right? Colossians chapter 1 tells us that, that everything was created by him, for him, through him, because of him, right? And we can read that and, and, and maybe have this head knowledge of this understanding that, okay, I get that, that Jesus is a big deal, um, but he's not enough. I got, I got to have this other thing, too. Like I said, you, you fill in the blank of whatever that other thing is. And, and, and what we end up doing is, is saying, okay, J- Jesus is good, but, but I got to have, gotta have this, this job or this relationship or whatever. Um, Jesus and. And then, and then we're all good. And that's, that's ultimately what's going on here with, with Jacob and with Leah. Right? They're chasing after the wrong prize. They're chasing after this fulfillment that they're never they're never going to get, never going to catch it. And so finally, Leah, here in verse 35, uh, says she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and she ceased bearing. Right? After having her fourth child, she finally figures it out. She finally figures out that her fulfillment is not going to come from having a good marriage. She finally figures out her fulfillment is not going to come from having enough children. She finally realizes her fulfillment isn't going to come from the affection of her husband. And again, I'm not standing up here saying that that we shouldn't desire those things. Those are good things to desire. But oftentimes we, we, we put those things too high on the list. right? And we put those things above finding our fulfillment in Jesus. And Leah finally, finally after her fourth child, figures it out. And says, this time, I'm just going to praise the Lord. Right? There's no mention after this fourth child of the affection of her husband. There's no mention uh, of anything except that I'm just going to praise the Lord. That's my fulfillment. That's where it's going to come from is just... In praising the Lord. Right? And here's, here's another mind blower, right? Here's Leah, this woman who, uh, unwanted by society, unloved, right? I've, I've heard her referred to by other uh, commentators as the girl that nobody wanted, right? And in the beginning, in, in verse 31, it says, The Lord saw that she was hated, right? The, the, the Lord was paying attention. Right? He saw that she was hated. He opened up her womb. God initiated with Leah. And not only did God initiate, but God says to this woman who is unwanted, unloved, uncared for, and the Bible even says that she's hated, that ultimately through her son Judah, her fourth child, ultimately would come Jesus Christ through, through the lineage of, of Judah, through the lineage of of Leah. That's kind of a mind blower too, that, that God would look at Leah, somebody who, who the world has no regard for, and say, I'm going to bring salvation to the world through you. Through you, this woman who's unwanted, unloved, uncared for, hated, despised, um, I'm going to bring salvation to the world through Leah. Right? What a beautiful picture of the gospel and what hope 
that that should give us, right? When we look at a guy like Jacob, who is just this, this complete dirtbag, we look at a woman like Leah, who uh, is hated and despised, and God says, this is the family that I'm going to have a covenant relationship with. This is the family uh, through whose lineage that, that my son Jesus is going to come into the world uh, live the life that none of us are capable of living, die the death that every one of us was deserving of, and I'm going to bring salvation to the world through these people, through their family. Right? Chew on that one for the afternoon. <laughs> it's incredible, absolutely incredible that, that this is who God would choose to use, that this is who God would choose to be identified with. Absolutely mind-blowing to think about that. And so at the end of the day, if we understand that, if that truth takes root in our lives, if that truth grips our heart, then it should lead us to the same place where Leah is at the end of this chapter saying, you know what, I'm just going to praise the Lord. It's not about my family. It's not about receiving love or affection from a person. It's not about being a good mom. It's not about being a good wife. It's not about uh, raising kids. It's about God. It's about him and and what he's done. And and again, not saying that any of those things are bad. Those are good things. But what is the ultimate thing in our life? Right? Is the ultimate thing that, that, that we get love from our spouse is the ultimate thing that, that, that we raise kids is the ultimate thing that, that we have a strong family is the ultimate thing that, that we have a successful career is the ultimate thing that, that, that we have money. What is the ultimate thing for you as you're sitting here thinking about this? What is your ultimate thing? <clears throat> and J- Jacob hasn't figured this out yet. Jacob's not going to figure this out um, in the story for probably about another 13 to 14 years. It's going to take him a while to figure out what, what Leah has already figured out. right? And, and Jacob, as the story continues, um, continues to be deceived by his father-in-law, Laban. Uh, the Bible tells us that Laban messes with his wages um, several times. I think 10, 10 or 12 times that Laban messes with his wages and not in a good way. Right, and then the story, you know, goes on that um, at some point Jacob realizes that it's time for him to part ways <clears throat> with his father-in-law, and so they make this deal, right? And they, they split up the flock, and, and it's agreed that, that Laban would take a certain portion of the flock, and Jacob would take another portion of the flock, and basically he was leaving the good portion to his father-in-law, and he was going to take the bad portion, um, and his father-in-law even deceived him out of that, right? And so again, the deceiver. Uh, becomes the deceived. Um, and again, nobody would argue that well, he probably had that coming, right? But he parts ways with his father-in-law only to find out that after 20 years, his brother is coming after him to kill him, right? Still has his grudge that he's holding on to and Jacob becomes fearful for his life so much to the point where he splits up his family and he says, half of you go that way and half of you go that way. In that way, whichever half that Esau runs into, the other half will survive, Right, this is, is kind of this desperation that, that he's in, and he eventually reunites with, with Esau, and it becomes this beautiful reunion. They hug and they you know they embrace, they kiss, they cry, 
uh, Esau doesn't kill him. Uh, really cool story. Would be, be worth the time reading if you guys had had time, um, you know, later on this week or whatever. Um, but but Jacob in this interaction with Esau, I think it's in Genesis 33, talks about um, you know wanting to give a gift to his brother, and his brother refuses the gift, and Jacob makes this comment that he says, "God has been gracious to me, and I have enough." Right, and 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 that that's the moment where we realize Jacob has has figured this out. He's figured this out. Because if you think about that statement of God being gracious to me, and you look at the, that 20-year span of Jacob's life that he spent under the thumb of his father-in-law, um, it was arguably the most difficult time in his life, most difficult season of his life. Um, because of part of what we just read and, and more of the story that we didn't get into, but it's this difficult 20 years of his life. And he gets to the end of this 20 years, and he says, God has been gracious to me. Right, that kind of doesn't compute with me either. Um, reading about all that he's been through, it's like, how in the world can you say that God has been gracious to you when you've gone through this 20 years of just extreme difficulty? Right, But it was in that, that moment and, and, and after that moment where he has this other encounter with God and when God changes his name from, from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, the one who strives with God. And it was in that difficulty that God changed who he was at his core. Because of this, this difficult 20 years, and Jacob recognizes that. By the time we get to Genesis 33, he recognizes that that difficult time that I just got out of was God's grace to me because God used that to change me, to change my identity from, from the deceiver to the one who, who strives with God. And we see a different Jacob emerge from this 20 years of difficulty than, than who we have encountered today and, and who uh, we read about previously in the story. We see this guy, he's a different dude. He's a different dude, and he recognizes that time in his life as, as God's grace to change him, as God's grace, uh, as his sanctifying work. In his life, so so Leah Leah has figured this out. It's going to be a little bit of time from this point in the story before Jacob does, but but eventually he figures it out too and realizes that my fulfillment, my identity, can only come from one place, and it's not my family, it's not my spouse, it's not my children, it's not my job, it's not who people think I am, it's not my my reputation, it's not my social standing. My identity comes from one place, and it's from the Lord, right, who has pursued me and who has entered into covenant relationship with me, right? It comes from the God who says, I'm the God of Jacob. Even when looking at, at my life, it doesn't make sense, right? That's where it comes from. Jesus tells us in, uh, in Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. It's a short parable. Uh, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Right? This is what Leah has figured out and what Jacob is, is on the way to figuring out. Right? The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when you find that field, you sell everything you have and you buy that field. <clears throat> right? 
Leah, at the end of this story, is all in. Right? It's going to be a while before Jacob is all in, but at some point he realizes who God is, and he realizes that that's where his fulfillment and that's where his identity comes from, and he's all in. Right? The question for, for you today is, are you all in? Right? Where are you looking for fulfillment? Where are you looking for identity? Where are you looking for happiness? Where are you looking for joy? Have you found the field with the hidden treasure? And have you sold everything you have to, to buy that field? Are you all in? And if we continue on in this life looking for these other things to fulfill us, every time, every morning we wake up, we're waking up next to Leah. It's never going to be Rachel. Never is. Never is. I just want to leave you with that thought today and that question of what is the ultimate thing for you? And if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, it's going to be Leah in the morning every time. Ken, you can come on up. Um, let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. And God, thank you that you pursue us. God, in spite of the fact that we continually try to find our fulfillment in anything and everything but you, God, you continue to show us grace. You continue to show us mercy. You continue to pursue us. God, you continue to hold up your end of the covenant, even though we continue to fail at our end. God, I pray today, and I pray this even for myself, God, that we would realize that we have found the field with the hidden treasure. And God, that, that that would be the thing that, that we desire more than anything in this life. It's not a bad thing to pursue a career. It's not a bad thing to pursue a family. Those are good things. But God, help us to keep those things in a right balance, in a right understanding. God, help us to keep those things uh, from becoming ultimate things. God, we recognize that, that you are the ultimate thing. And while we can acknowledge that with the words that we say, while we can acknowledge that um, in our minds and the way that we think, uh, God, help our lives to acknowledge with the way that we live that you are the ultimate thing. God, that nothing else would matter except knowing you. God, your word talks about it in Matthew 6 to, to not worry about the things that, that we'll eat or that we'll drink or the clothes that we'll wear, that, that you know our needs. And, and, and it says that, that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that you take care of everything else and so god i pray that that truth would grip our hearts in a way today that it never has before knowing that when we seek you your kingdom and your righteousness god that you just make everything else work god be the ultimate thing that we seek
You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Kirk County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.